Okay, I've started recording. Boom. There we go. We're off. We're off. Dun 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 We're like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Tom. Only our Lost Ark is Wiki Commons. And we raid it. We definitely raid it. I have been I've been raiding Wiki Commons with our social media content recently, but it is good. You can search any old shit and you're guaranteed to get a picture. <laughs> Although, for our last episode, I was looking for toes. And so I typed in toes. And I had to sift through a lot of fetishy pictures. Bet you did. On, on Creative Commons. And they weren't pornographic. You know, there was nothing um, displayed, you know, that was particularly rude. It was just, you know, saucy pictures of not particularly attractive women with their toes up their nose. It was really weird. <laughs> really very strange. Neesh. Uh. <laughs> this page was last edited by Elton John at <laughs> <laughs> an audience. If you're wondering, if you're wondering why we're talking about toes, oh, that's probably yeah, probably should explain. Here's a beautiful opportunity to uh, to put in a clip from our last patron only episode, merely called Elton John. <laughs> the thing is, no one else ever went to the cabin, and so the toe remained there undisturbed for the next fifty years. Oh. Until it was discovered by one Captain Dick Stevenson, a local tourist boat owner who was cleaning up after buying the place in 1973. And it had grown into a magnificent toe tree. It had, yes. It had actually Pose. It had grown a tiny human off the back. <laughs> a full-grown human. Hello! <laughs> With just a toe in the back of his head. <laughs> the toe had come back and was haunting the place. I'm Tony! <laughs> Tony Toenail! <laughs> and as everyone knows, obviously, Elton John has a complete foot fetish. And Does he? The original version of Tiny Dancer was indeed Tony Toenail. With the lyrics, hold me closer, Tony Toenail. <laughs> hold me closer, <laughs> Tony Toenail. Let me lick you up and down. Da, 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 da. In growing toenail, you are tasty. <laughs> Stick a pungent up my asshole. <laughs> On the subject of uh, of Creative Commons, I I didn't use a picture of Elton John on any of our social media content simply because very wise, yeah, <laughs> very unlikely he'll come across any of our stuff. But if he did, might not like his picture plastered all over. No, especially not with that badly photoshopped toe going right up his nostril. <laughs> <laughs> Quite enough of that. Should we do a podcast? Should we do this podcast rather than talking about Let's go. Elton John's purely fictitious Again. his lawyer's toe fetish from last episode? <laughs> While you're doing the intro, I'm going to take off my jumper. Oh. That? So I won't hear what you're saying. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom oh, barely got through half of it. In which Tom, the lightning changer, the man who can remove and replace his clothes faster than the policeman can say, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. <laughs> hey, what are you doing now? This is a library. Come out from the bushes, <laughs> will you? This is a library. And Sam, the man who got naked before he came into the library, discuss history stories on a theme each week. The theme's decided the week in advance, but everything else that happens is a complete and utter surprise. And what's our topic this week, Tom? Topic for this week is civil wars. I'm actually a bit cold now, though, I'll be honest. I haven't struck oh, that balance. Put a nipple tassel on. A nipple tassel. Just one nipple yeah, tassel. Just, just the one. Well, you've only got one nipple. <laughs> Little known yeah. fact. Our listeners. He's got, That'll be some social media content. He's, yeah. got, a, he's got a mono boob. <laughs> it's, it's the nipples right in the middle. It's very strange. I've got two pecs. Yeah. I've just got one just nipple. Just one right central in the nipple. 
Yeah. Well, you do yeah. have two, but they're just very close together and kind of pointing inwards, slightly cross-eyed, like a South Park character's face. <laughs> I look, a, yeah, I look a little bit like a sort of cretinous blemier from a medieval manuscript. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> nice Cre- reference. Cretinous blemier. Worth explaining. <laughs> <laughs> the blemier. Uh, the blemier. Uh, the, they... Cretinous blemier sounds like one of Jacob Rees-Mogg's children. <laughs> <laughs> An announcement that goes over <laughs> over the uh, the Eton School tannoy system. Would Cretinus Blemier please come to the headmaster's office? <laughs> Blemier being a medieval uh, sort of human creature with no head and a face in its chest. Yeah, ah, history joke there. <laughs> a rare occurrence. Anyway, how did, yeah, how did you find your uh, your civil wars research? Well, Tom, I've, I've come up with a cracking story that isn't it? Well, it's a bit funny, but it's mostly just really interesting. And I'm going to be honest, it's more of a mutiny than a civil war. It's kind of a civil war That's that lasted okay. several hours <laughs> and was very localised. Well, did you come across some of the accepted definitions for civil war in your research? I, I didn't, no. I thought that that would be unnecessary and dull. But I feel like we're going to learn about them now. <laughs> <laughs> Just be a little snippet, you know. We can, we can learn and have fun. We can, oh. especially when we edit out the learning bit. <laughs> <laughs> A widely accepted criterion for a civil war, this is probably the most widely accepted, is uh, there need to be over a thousand casualties with at least a hundred coming from each side. Which what? does mean there's been put a, a number fun- on it. Well, what I think absolute you, you nonsense. Why? Why? Why is that absolute nonsense? If only 999 people are injured, what does that make it? A fracas? I, I don't know. Bullshit. It, Tom. Makes, it, 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 Bullshit. it, it makes it. It makes it an excellent journey because you can go 999. People have died in this war. 99 people. <laughs> if one more person dies in this war... It's going to be a civil war. 998 people on the war. Yeah, so there have been a hell of a lot of civil wars, if you use that rough criterion, um, which also, I found, made this an incredibly difficult one to research. I don't know how you feel. Well, I didn't pull out of my arse a numerical value for a civil war. And by your metric, fuck knows where you got that from... Mine isn't a civil war at all. Exactly. Go right. We're going to re-record this tomorrow morning when you have done some sufficient <laughs> research. Okay, I'm disgusted by this. No, I, it's just a rough criteria. Obviously, some academics disagree with it, but I think that's a fairly widely including accepted one. this one right here. You're not an academic. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, I'm hoping the person who suggested this topic didn't mean the American Civil War because in different countries, people just refer to their civil war as the Civil War, don't they? They do. In the UK, I mean, in the UK, for example, we say Civil War and we refer to the 17th century Roundheads and Cavaliers jobby. Well, in, Eng- we? in England we do, yes. Well, I suppose, so, exactly. When in reality... Scotland have got their own... Exactly. Their own been, problems. There have been a lot more. Ireland? Well... Nobody cares about Ireland. Has, has, nobody cares. Hasn't finished yet. They've just forgotten about it. <laughs> they, haven't, well, they haven't forgotten at all. They to remember <laughs> when we leave the European Union. The War of the Roses... The Anarchy, the Barons' War, they were all technically civil wars, weren't they? Also, excellent punk bands. Or, yes, the Wars of the Roses would be a good... Yes, yes, they would mm. be. Wouldn't they? They would be. I found that a lot of civil wars were really well documented as well. Um, and very interesting, but not very funny. No. So to find anything funny, you have to do shitloads of research, going through all the interesting but not particularly funny stuff, in the hope of stumbling across something like a general who fell in a pile of cow shit, or a battle that was fought over overripe bananas or a mission to rescue a flatulent king from a whoopee cushion factory and 
I just didn't have <laughs> Now, the there's a film. <laughs> Shrek 4, <laughs> or, The Forgotten Kingdom. <laughs> I found one thing that was silly, but like you, it wasn't really a civil war. It's probably more of a peasant uprising. Um, and I'm going to use it as an honourable mention. Fair enough. Whose turn is it? It's it's my turn to go first in a public episode, I think. Right, do it. Ooh, well, we should do some audience feedback first, shouldn't we? Oh, sorry, we should. Sorry. Yeah. Sky Monkey has uh, has said, ooh, that's what you look like when I did an Instagram story. That is what I look like, Sky Monkey. That's yeah, lovely to hear from tremendous, you. Tremendous, isn't it? Dreadful. Uh, Nathan, our friendly Canadian. He's Australian, isn't he? But he lives in Canada. Yes, Australian-Canadian. An Osnadian. A Canastralian. A Kandaroo? A Kandaroo, Yeah. He was asking us for tips and tricks for getting a hold of primary sources and things, wasn't he? Uh, archive.org is really good. Project Gutenberg has a lot of yep, good stuff classic. on it. And, and a lot of museums digitise all of their rare book collections. We joke about it a lot, but a really good way of finding funny sources is to look at Wikipedia's sources, the sources cited in Wikipedia articles, if you find something you're interested in. And usually that will take you to a free version of it, which you can read. Yes, that's true, uh, including primary sources. Yes. Yeah. Uh, LibriVox, yeah. lots of good audio books. Audio books of things like Cicero, so you can listen to a bit of Cicero on the bus. Not in its original, you know, it's not an original audio book by Cicero himself. It's, no. It's been translated and then done by some the original tablets. Modern. Um, Wikisource, that's also quite good, isn't it? Occasionally you get a bit of a... Wikisource is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's where we get all our primary sources. I agree with you, Sam. I think Wikipedia is actually a fantastic base of operations because it just gives you the absolute basics and from there you can fill it all out from other places. Yeah. The, uh, the Garage Report as well is abandoned the dollop, massive podcast, and come to us instead, which is great. Thank you for that. Yes! The Garage Report. Good man. He said the dollop were getting a bit cynical and miserable and he liked how... Cheerful and happy. Really. Oh, well... Which is the first time that's <laughs> yeah. ever been said. <laughs> I feel you're misreading our cues. <laughs> You've obviously never met Sam in person. <laughs> or me, for that matter. Yeah, uh, Dan has also messaged us to say he loves your comments uh, from our episode about Perfidious Albion, where you suggest that people set themselves on fire to get rid of hiccups. I can't remember that, but it makes sense. <laughs> Doesn't it? When you think about it, it's perfect. It would, perfect it would do the job in its own special way. Right, thank you for your feedback, audience. It's much, much, much appreciated. And we've had a couple of people say hello on Twitter as well, which is which is nice. Thank you very much. The interactions are lovely. The interactions are lovely. But, Tom, on to some history. I'm going to be honest, as I've said already, it's more of a mutiny than a civil war. But it's two people from ostensibly the same side fighting. So I'm going to count it for the purposes <laughs> of a podcast. So it's domestic violence. Yes. <laughs> more or less, on a... On, I'm detailing what happened last weekend at my neighbour's house. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You'll never believe what Steve did. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Battle of Bamber Bridge. and That's a lot of bees. That sounds like it's the start of a nursery rhyme. <laughs> a but, 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 bar, bar, baran. A but, but, but. A children's nursery rhyme that starts with but, but. <laughs> but, the... <laughs> no. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were going to do Hugh Laurie doing the Beach Boys then. A but 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 ran black era. Bother 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 but 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 black era. It's the Battle of Bamber Bridge, and this is a story of U.S. troops fighting U.S. troops in Britain with the support of the locals. Right. So is this just was this just outside a pub? Do you know what, Tom? Yes, it was. This was a fight about a pub. <laughs> 
<laughs> is, this a, is this a story about a group of squaddies having a scrap when half cut? Yes, it is absolutely that. But it plays into a much wider historical story. And so, therefore, is valid. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, now, for a bit of background, Bamber Bridge is a small village in Lancashire in the north of England. It's actually not very far from where I live now. And in 1943, it played host to two separate US military camps. Sorry, when was that? Uh, in the Second World War? 1943, yeah. So kind of lead up, lead up to D-Day. And in the centre of town was the uh, 1,511th Quartermaster Truck Regiment of the 8th Air Force, not to be confused with the 1,510th or the 1st. That's a lot of truck regiments. That's a lot of truck regiments. I mean, each How many th- trucks were there in a regiment? Just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One Half. truck. <laughs> Half a truck. A tyre. <laughs> they had 750 trucks in the entire yeah. army. And uh, so yes, this is the 1,511th Quartermaster Truck Regiment, which I'm sure when you break it down makes more sense than it looks like on paper. And these guys were tasked with delivering supplies to US troops in Lancashire to uh, make sure that they were topped up with home comforts such as disgusting chocolate, piss-poor beer and orange cheese. What's the orange cheese? Yeah, you know, American cheese. Oh, I thought you were taking piss out of Lancastrians. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. We shit no, it, No, yeah. no, no. God. No, I'm taking the piss out of Hershey's light beer and uh, prepackaged American cheese. Yeah, what else do the Americans do that shit when it comes to consumable goods? Uh, their cars. Chicken. It's full of salt and fluids injected into it. Uh, <laughs> Just oh, like what, me. What else? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you had the, uh, the truck drivers who were there supplying terrible chocolate and beer. And to the north of town was the 234th US Military Police Company, who, get this, Tom, and as a Brit, you'll find this absolutely mad. They're like police, Tom, but they've got guns. No. <laughs> Fucking hell. Why would you, why would you give police idea. guns? Madness. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. The only reason, Sam, you'd need to give your police guns is if you were unable to control guns in the general population. Yes. Or you had some stupid amendment. <laughs> You know, they said that everyone has the right to bear arms, which was relevant back then when it took you 15 minutes to load your weapon, wasn't it? <laughs> and even then, you, you had fuckers like you were going to hit anything unless it was standing a foot in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now you can shoot 12 times and hit twice in the back from a foot. So <laughs> times, times have moved on. <laughs> so, yeah, you had these two groups of, of soldiers in the town. And this is where it starts to get interesting, Tom. The US Army in World War II was still colour segregated and the uh, 1511th or the 1511th was an all-black regiment commanded by largely white and largely incompetent officers. And that's that's not just me casting aspersions over them. It was an unofficial US Army policy in World War II to essentially put the dregs of the officer corps, those who weren't considered fit for combat or had performance or anger issues, they were dumped... <laughs> well, everyone. <Yeah. laughs> All soldiers. <laughs> God damn it. I'll have eaten Hershey's and kicking ass. And I'm all out of Hershey's. Mm-hmm. I love the smell of light beer in the morning. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> Smells like brackish water. <laughs> <laughs> Smells like open sewer. <clears throat> I love it when someone slaps some cheap cheese around my chops first thing in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cheesy cheeks. <laughs> Of course it's fresh. I just took it out of its individual wrapping. <laughs> That's how it grows on the cheese tree. <laughs> it's slap, slap. Sliced, sliced straight off the cow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, these 
incompetent officers were basically dumped onto the segregated divisions who were seen as uh, as lesser <laughs> essentially and undeserving of competent commanders <laughs> this morning I learned to tie my shoes <laughs> oh shit I got my velcros on <laughs> somebody go give me my boots <laughs> my adjutant let me dress myself today which is why I've come out <laughs> wearing my pants on my head and my helmet on my balls <laughs> I look at my tutu. <laughs> I love a tutu. Today I dress like a princess. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to have done the stereotypical black American accent. Yes, for this, to reverse that. For this white individual. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, okay. Let's re- let's retrospectively change that. Retcon it. We can, uh, we can turn okay. him into a Texan. I am an excellent officer of the U.S. Army. That, that sounded a little bit like Tom Hanks. I thought it was, too, it was kind of a cross between uh, Forrest Gump and George W. Bush. <laughs> there isn't a cross. <laughs> they are one and the same, Sam. <laughs> you can't cross things in the same. Just walked up and down the parade ground. Iraq is like a box of chalkies. <laughs> they don't have any any weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> They're brown. <laughs> Yes. Uh, anyway, where were we? About a paragraph in your notes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so much like the commanding officers, the military police were all white and were generally considered to be highly racist in their attitudes, uh, singling African American soldiers out for particular particular punishment and just bullying. No offence, or anything. I'm not doubting that. I'm not. I'm not doubting that was the case. But when you have a regiment totally yes. uh, African Americans, they are going to get singled out, aren't they? I mean. <laughs> They were created by being singled out. <laughs> Their yes, regiment is the of people whole... who were singled out unfairly, <laughs> really just carrying out US Army policy at the time. So you have a situation where an angry, racist and incompetent officer corps who didn't want to be there were commanding black soldiers who were generally treated pretty poorly and therefore had very low morale. And for a bit of extra context, from June 20th to 22nd, 1943, there were race riots in Detroit in which... I mean, it was caused by a flood of immigrants, both African-American, white Southern American and European, who piled into the city of Detroit, basically to help with the war effort. You had all of these uh, auto companies for General Motors who suddenly started producing aircraft and tanks and demand for labour just skyrocketed. So 400,000 people flooded into Detroit in the space of like a year, 18 months and absolutely destroyed the already fairly piss poor infrastructure of the city, which put an awful lot of strain on what few resources were left, put an awful lot of strain on the police, and basically led to an awful lot of tensions. And various communities began to riot. The police cracked down on the riots, but being a largely white and quite racist force, they obviously disproportionately targeted the black rioters, killing 34, injuring over 400, and arresting about 1,800 people. It was about 75% of all the arrests and injuries in these riots despite the fact that they'd only made up a quarter of the rioters. So news of this spread around the US forces which were stationed abroad, and the commanders of the 1511th, as well as the military police, decided that there was only one way to stop these fights, looting and rioting from spreading and happening in Bamba Bridge. And <laughs> this is a logical connection to make. Abso- absolutely, yes. If it can happen in Detroit, it can happen in, in a small village in Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's going to happen. All it takes is one bad result in the local cricket match. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Hell's going to be let loose. You take on Heat and Mersey and lose. Ooh. Oh. There'll be milk carts flipped over, bicycles upended. Oh. 
cobbled roads. <laughs> yes. Uncobbled. Te- discobbled. <laughs> Brutally. <laughs> Disco- discobulated. <Yep. laughs> In a cowardly act of terror. It'll be the end of the world as we know it. Bread sent to the market, not sliced. Uh, oh. Jesus. <laughs> so they decided something must be done, Tom. Something must be done to, to quell the unrest in Bamber Bridge. And what do you think that thing was, Tom? What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do. If you're, a, if you're a racist white military police officer or a racist white officer and you're worried about race riots happening, what do you do, Tom? Double the ration of sticky cheese. <laughs> Orange cheese for all. <laughs> now calm down, folks, OK? <laughs> There's more where this came from. <laughs> yep. Free cheese. You can have any colour you like as long as it's luminous orange. <laughs> Can't afford a light bulb? Put one of those in the ceiling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Delightful glow. Put it outside, it absorbs the light of the day and then put it inside in the evening and it it's still dark because it's Yorkshire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lancashire, sorry, Lanc- Lancashire. Lancashire yes. Yeah. If you smear some on the hands of your watch, you've got a nice little glow in the dark clock face. <laughs> <laughs> and in a pinch you can lick it and remind yourself that you're not that hungry after all. You just have your burger neat. <laughs> on the rocks <laughs> so uh, so what was the thing that they did Tom they doubled down on the segregation because of course the only way to stop race riots is to keep people of different races apart so that they can't fight each other and so they can't talk with each other <laughs> yes, if they can't talk to each other they find out that they're perfectly normal yes, they can't realise <laughs> that they've got everything in common anything and common aims <laughs> yeah. and goals <laughs> we must stop this from happening friendship leads to rioting Tom as you well know <laughs> so yes they doubled down on the segregation and demanded that one of the three pubs in the village be declared coloureds only to avoid fraternisation and therefore tension and it worked let's be honest it worked in South America <laughs> would you like to elaborate on that <laughs> <laughs> that's called irony <laughs> there we go <laughs> there was only one problem Tom the people of Bamber Bridge had grown really very attached to the black troops who were friendly cheerful and respectful to them the people of Lancashire also, I can tell you from experience, uh, quite like an underdog, didn't take cut. Not that I'm a particularly an underdog. <laughs> Look at him, the poor suffering London media yuppie coming here and driving up our house <laughs> prices. Um, <laughs> they quite like an underdog and didn't take kindly to these young men being told where they could drink and what they could do. So, and this is where it gets quite funny, the people of Bamber Bridge responded by putting up coloured only signs in every pub and half the shops in town <laughs> essentially That's... banning white americans from <laughs> from the town <laughs> which was just i presume the officer class uh yes it was the officers and the military police ah uh, yes sorry they oh yes yes <laughs> sorry I forgot that fact. Yes. <laughs> yes, we got white military police. Yes, okay. So so they essentially banned white soldiers from the town. <laughs> Uh, which it's fair to say, Tom, gave them the right hub. <laughs> they, they were not pleased at this. <laughs> so that's the background to it. Now, on the evening of the 24th of June, a few black troops were drinking in a pub called Ye Oldy Hob Inn. Right. Not to be confused with the pub next door, Ye Crusty Knob Inn. Come on, you've got more, and- <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> and the one for chatty people, the right old Gob Inn. Nice, nice. One for I pe- had to make that up on the spot. The one for people called Robert. Uh, um, your big Bobby. The only Robin, um, yep. Yep. <laughs> Yep. The one for depressed people, come and sob in. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, cheap bar for the unemployed, the no job in. Nice, nice. And the one for the particularly flemmy, 
the uh, the flobbin. <laughs> the flobbin. <laughs> I, I was thinking about the one for Tattletales, the do, the dobbin. Ah, oh yes. <laughs> so, so yes, on the evening of of June twenty fourth, a group of black troops were drinking in the oldie hob inn when a pair of passing military policemen popped their head in the door and noticed that one of the men, a guy called Private Eugene Nunn, had the fucking audacity, Tom. The fucking audacity. The criminal, the murderous criminal intent of wearing his field coat rather than his smarter army service uniform whilst at the pub. Oh. A life of crime. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it seems as if he bought a round. Around the corner to prison. <laughs> he was propping up the bar. Now he's behind them. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Eugene Nunn was wearing the wrong coat. Of course, these two upstanding police officers couldn't have that on. And so they prompted... That was only one thing on tap in that pub. Crime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what's at your bar? I just thought I'd go for a Tommy Cooper joke. Oh, go on then. Ouch. Hey. I went to the pub because I needed a place to sleep and I, uh, I knocked on the door and the landlady poked her head out the window. She, uh, she said, what do you want? I said, I want to stay here. She said, stay there then. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Hey, hey. I said, uh, I'm about to walk to bar with a roll of tarmac under his arm and he says... I'll have a pint for me and I'll have one for the road. <laughs> Excellent. So yes, they arrested Eugene Nunn, which caused a scuffle to break out between the two MPs and a combination of the black troops, local drinkers and a few British service women of the Auxiliary Territorial Army. Who do you think you are discriminating against, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Roosevelt, Roosevelt or Truman? <laughs> <laughs> not, the, not the first Roosevelt, the second one. <laughs> if you think this pub... Is gonna be indeed. <laughs> we are the ones who are wearing the wrong coats. You are the ones that <laughs> we won't be going now. We've got a fifty pound bar float. <laughs> who, do... <laughs> <laughs> who do you think you're arresting, Mr. Policeman? <laughs> oh, his name was probably Eugene Nunn. <laughs> hey, there you go. I like your little. I like your epiphany yeah, halfway yes. through that verse. Whoa! Pause for, pause for rhyme. I've got a good one. <laughs> Eureka! Racist clowns in Bamba Town are closing down the pubs. <laughs> Very good. Incompetent old officers and policemen with their clubs. Oh. Who do you think you're arresting, Mr. Oh, you need a moment. Oh, yeah, his name is Eugene Nunn. <laughs> All you need is a moment, isn't it? It's just it's sometimes I'm running a bit slowly. You just need a moment and then you're back on it. I'm back on it. I've got it. I'm in the room. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, a, a fight broke out between all of these people, including these, these women soldiers. And uh, eventually the situation was diffused and the MPs were told by the patrons of the oldie hobbin, tea oldie fuck off out, which they, which they did, being chased out to their jeep and pelted with beer. <laughs> the MPs went off for a change of clothes and reinforcements and were told by the black troops commanding officers to go ahead and arrest them with no attempt by the officers to defuse the situation and here's where it stops being funny and starts getting quite serious the police set up a roadblock to intercept the troops on their way back from the pub and a full-on brawl broke out eventually shots were fired by the mps one of which Mm. hit a soldier private william crossland in the back and killed him 
The remaining troops fled and ran back to their base, where a few of the less incompetent officers, including the regiment's only black officer, a guy called uh, Lieutenant Edwin Jones, tried to defuse the situation by promising that the MPs would be rounded up and brought to justice, and they were going to work out exactly what had happened to escalate the situation so far. And so for a couple of hours, things died down. But then... (laughs) But then... The entire company of military police showed up at the gate of the camp, heavily armed, including with an improvised armoured car with a heavy machine gun poking out the sunroof. I bet they all turned up in their cars as well, like 70 of them in a row, (laughs) OJ Simpson style. (laughs) I was thinking like the Keystone Cops, (laughs) hanging out the side of the car. Cigarettes in the corner of the mouth. (laughs) In black and and white with some honky-tonk piano in the background. (laughs) 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 With the doors popping open and one of them swinging wildly out the back. (laughs) One hanging off the back, (laughs) whirling his truncheon around. (laughs) As the wheels fall off the car. I was trying desperately not to do the Looney Tunes theme tune, but it kept... (laughs) I knew in my head. (laughs) It's appropriate, isn't it? Yes. Well, as a result of this, as a result of the military police showing up heavily, heavily, heavily armed with a heavy, with a full machine gun and armored cars and and the lot, the soldiers in the base, the black soldiers, raided their armory and stole two thirds of the weapon and ammo being kept by the regiment. And a pitched battle ensued between the two groups, much to the bemusement of the local British bobbies in town, of which there were several, who watched helplessly and took notes. <laughs> they just wrote down what was happening in their notebook. It wasn't expected in this tonight, I must admit. As they quickly found out that no amount of illu what's going on here then? Blowing their whistles or twitching their moustaches would calm things down. <laughs> oh shit, those are the three things I was taught at police school. <laughs> And they usually resolve most situations. Those are my only, yes, those are my only three <laughs> methods of crime detection and solving. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. No. Oh. <laughs> just, uh, just sit here quietly with the pints, wait until all of this blows over. <laughs> and make a few notes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I got bored of making notes. It was very difficult to keep track of, so I just drew a cock. <laughs> <laughs> and draw a picture of me bopping a liver paddly on, on the head. <laughs> only his <laughs> noggin. <laughs> Cause when the sergeant is about this back at the uh, back at the police station, I will have been an active unmitigated heroism on my part. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yes, the locals were warned to stay inside by the black troops as running battles raged down the main street in the village square. I mean, you've got to think think of this time as Saving Private Ryan meets Hot Fuzz. The longest day meets Dad's army. Yeah, yeah. The longest day meets Inspector Morse. <laughs> A bridge to oh, inspect the gadget. <laughs> 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 inspect the gadget. <laughs> go gadget, go. <laughs> go go gadget bazooka. <laughs> go go gadget cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, throw it at the German machine guns to gum them up. <laughs> Blind them by throwing small squares of orange cheese at their face. <laughs> ah, what is this? Nine, chemical warfare was com- forbidden by such an evil convention. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, the shooting stopped at around four o'clock in the morning and everyone uh, went home. The story, there's, there's some patches in the story here. Clearly the British bobbies had stopped taking notes and fucked off for tea by this point. Because the, um, because the <laughs> uh, afternoon tea is on the <laughs> yes. table at eight o'clock. 
I can't possibly miss that. <laughs> well, like, the only sources I could find for this just say that at four o'clock in the morning, everyone went home. So there's a bit of a gap in the sources there. <laughs> Five soldiers and two military police were shot in this running battle through this small village. As a result, 32 African-American troops were convicted of mutiny, but an investigation afterwards found that shitty leadership and institutional and active racism were the primary causes of this mutiny, with the MPs being given most of the blame for what happened, for basically inciting it and driving it. As a result of the battle, African-American units overseas generally were purged of racist or incompetent officers. So this one night of slightly drunken brawling had really quite far-reaching implications for the US Army. We've all had... uh drunken nights out <laughs> that have led to far-reaching consequences. People had nights out that have resulted in massive institutional change to the structure of the US Army. <laughs> so in this case, uh, African-American units were purged of racist or incompetent officers, by and large. And, uh, and the military police, at least in Britain, was desegregated, which actually generally made things an awful lot better for all involved and led to a massive reduction in court-martials among troops based in Britain. So so there you go, Tom. That's a good story. And is yeah. that one that you knew anyway? Had you stumbled across that? I stumbled across this a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember what I was researching. I'm trying to remember what I came across. I almost chose a topic, and I think it was the first all-black African-American Civil War unit, ah. I think. I couldn't find enough that was funny in it. I think it's quite well known as well. I've got a feeling there's a film about that. Well, and the other thing is, my American history isn't very good. And I know we have a lot of American and Canadian listeners. And my fear is I'm going to do something really well known and not do it very well. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, you know, British history, we know the stuff that everyone knows about. You know, we we, we know how we can find something a little bit more niche. Anyway, uh, yes, I, I... went down a very interesting route and I found my research this week to be fascinating very very interesting I mentioned at the start though that I did come up with one honourable mention Mm. that was more of a peasant uprising than a a civil war but I'll I'll quickly do that and then I'll explain what I moved on to which has a different flavour so I came across Basil Copperhand the 10th century Byzantine started well hasn't it it has Unfortunately, I couldn't find out too much about this dude. Just a paragraph. <laughs> so I just, just, I liked his name. And he's yeah, a well mention. No it. idea what he did, where he lived. I just liked his name. Um, just one paragraph in the Synopsis of Histories by John Skylitzes, an 11th century Greek historian. Despite Basil being Macedonian, I think he rather suits a Leslie Phillips posh post-war English accent. Okay. Ding dong. Ding dong. Ding dong. I think I tarnished my copper hands last night. Not for lack of lubricant. Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll give it a polish later. Sorry, I mean a good Polish. Her name's Lena. I say. <laughs> Famous um, English actor who just used to come out with lots of innuendos. Interestingly, Sam, I found out he's a, he's a Cockney. Oh. Who didn't have a very posh upbringing, but he lost his Cockney accent when his mother sent him to elocution lessons. To help him as a young actor. To talk proper. To talk proper like an Englishman. So what was his name? Copperhands. Copperhands. Basil Copperhands. Well, it turns out... Oh, I say Copperhands. Copperfeel. Oh, cold to the touch. <laughs> yes. So... Tastes slightly like zinc. Maybe you're having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that Basil Copperhand was wandering around modern Turkey pretending to be a popular nobleman called Constantine Ducas 
not it's to be very mixed common, up. It's a very common name in well, Byzantium. Bizarrely, it was, because actually there was a, an emperor called Constantine Ducas. There may have been a few, actually. There were, quite, there were quite a few. I think the Ducas was a dynasty. Yeah, the Ducas dynasty. Not to be confused with Duck Dynasty, the popular American TV series. Or DuckTales. Yes, or DuckTales. <laughs> yeah, for that matter. DuckTales! <laughs> very nice, very good. Byzantine and Greek and Macedonian DuckTales! <laughs> <laughs> Walls of Constantinople never going to fall. Dugtails. Arse and rump of the Roman Empire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so he was going around pretending to be Constantine Ducas, you know, getting free mushy peas when he went to the, the, the chip shop. Do you know who I am? <laughs> getting off his speeding. His Can't believe he didn't speeding. make a Turkish kebab joke then instead. <laughs> Could have done, actually. Free mushy peas with his Turkish kebab. Oh. Yeah. Uh, getting off his chariot speeding tickets. Yeah. You know, this is a catering zone, sir. You steed looked awfully like it was in gallop. <laughs> Nicely done. Good horse knowledge. <laughs> yes, good. I thought that. Um, from one cobber to another, I'm actually Dukas. Um, eventually, a chap called Elephantinos. <laughs> God knows how he got that name. It's an enormous knob. <laughs> I was going to say nose. <laughs> no, we'll go knob. Or just a very large torso. Yes. Also known as or a trunk. maybe he never forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe he had a prehensile nose. Who can say? It's lost Massive to the mists of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he liked to spray his own back with dust and mud. <laughs> anyway, he dobbed him in, poor old Elephantinos. Uh, dobbed in Basil Copperhand, and he was brought before the Emperor and had his hand chopped off. Oh, his copper one? No, because this was before he had a copper hand. So at this point, he was known as Basil Normal Hand. Oh, yes. He was just Basil Hands. <laughs> Basil Fleshy Hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five-fingered Basil. <laughs> Basil Normal... <laughs> Off Basil went to get a new hand with a tat sword made of copper, iron being a tad too heavy and steel yes. being a bit expensive for a not-quite-nobleman. Attached sword. That's going to make just picking your nose very difficult, isn't it? <laughs> but spit roasts, easy peasy. And by that I mean the actual spit roast for the record. <laughs> no, I was going pigs to say, eating was going to say pigs. no, I'm not entirely sure that it would make the other kind particularly. So it would be a health and safety nightmare, Tom. The other individual involved. Yes. I mean, God, can you imagine receiving a reach around from a man with a sword attached to his hand? Talk about a danger wank. Jesus. Interesting where your imagination went. You, you imagined a male being spit roasted. Oh, well, you talk, you talk, sorry, you were talking about Greeks earlier. I've got it on the mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, despite having um, having his hand chopped off, he continued to pretend he was Ducas. He incited a resurrection and, by all accounts, made quite a good go of it before being captured. The real emperor, the real Slim Shady, eventually had to take him seriously. Stood up. Yep. <laughs> Defeated him, burnt him alive, Oof. presumably with onlookers wearing appropriate PPE to avoid inhaling the copper. Yes. Which burns green, incidentally. So it would have been quite a sight. Yes. <laughs> Little chemistry illusion there. Yes, next day they burnt Jimmy Magnesium hands. A beautiful purple flame. <laughs> Jimmy Magnesium, they called me. <laughs> and I had the silveriest hands in the whole of Chicago. Yes. The most reactive with water hands in the West. <laughs> had to replace them quite regularly. <laughs> yes. But they looked so goddamn good. You think I've got it rough. You go talk to Johnny's sodium fingers over there. <laughs> Jesus, every time he runs a bath, he blows the damn door out. <laughs> <laughs> Good chemistry knowledge. <laughs> Similar situation with nuclear Ned. 
<laughs> Plutonium <laughs> Pete. <laughs> He's so unstable. Okay, just don't have a drink with him. He's a very unstable man. <laughs> anyway, on to my main contribution to today's episode, which is idioms in the English language with Civil War origins. What a good idea. Thank uh, you. Excellent idea, Tom. It You're an idiot, idiot in, the, in the English language. Idiom. I said idiom. I'd uh, like to give a quick shout-out to a wonderful website that I've used for the base of my research called phrases.org.uk. And the chap who produces the content for this website is wonderfully factual and healthily sceptical. And I'd now like to quote him on a page dedicated to the phrase, the whole nine yards. Quote, here's a warning for you. If you're thinking of writing a web page about the origin of the phrase, the whole nine yards, prepare yourself for a snowstorm of emails. Over the years that I've been publishing such a page, I've had hundreds of emails from people who pity my ignorance of the source of the phrase and wish to inform the world that they know the origin. The capital letters are a common feature of these emails, and if emails can have a body language, then these examples convey an impression of a puce-faced gentleman and congratulate your gender ladies, my correspondents are always male, pounding the keyboard with his fists and shouting a lot. I've left in the numerous spelling mistakes. Personally, I prefer to limit my belief in someone who knows they are categorically right to people who can spell categorically. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Did you like my points of view style voice? I did, yes. (laughs) Anyway, so it just shows you don't need social media to be an opinionated, self-important ignoramus, folks. Oh, Tom, I could have told you about that. Yeah, you can create your own podcast. (laughs) 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 As a segue... Going back a little bit, here's an interesting fact. The etymology of the word copper comes from Roman times when the metal, copper, was called, obviously in Latin, Cyprius metal. There you go. So the word copper comes from the Latin version of Cyprius metal. Oh, interesting. Talking of Romans, there are plenty of good idioms. In fact, there are fantastic idioms and phrases that come from Caesar's civil war from 49 to 45 BC. Now, we've discussed this one before. I'll briefly do it. Crossing the Rubicon. Easy one. A phrase meaning to commit fully to a course of action from which there can be no return. That's obviously when Caesar took his troops across the Rubicon River. Yes. The northernmost boundary of Rome's heartland. A river well known for flowing with delicious fruit juice flavours. Nice. That's good work. I think that's the second time you've cracked that joke as well. <laughs> well, it's the second time we've done the fucking subject, Tom. <laughs> exactly. Despite this is uh, despite the Senate telling Caesar to disband his army, and so essentially he committed war on Rome. At the same time, he came out with the dyer's cast, according to Suetonius. And we also have a veni vidi vici. I came, I saw, I conquered, which, according to Plutarch and Suetonius, was apparently written by Caesar in a letter to the Senate after a victory over the Bosporan kingdom in 47 BC, smack bang in the middle of the Civil War. Wow, look at that. Not only is he winning the Civil War, but he's 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 fighting other wars too, and then writing congratulatory letters about himself to his enemies. We can now segue nicely. I've got a lot of good segues here, Sam. A lot of thought has gone into how I (laughs) organise... Very little original content, but an awful lot of... (laughs) I've I've organised this beautifully. If we now move to William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar we get Beware the Ides of March, which, of course, has become an idiom for Watch Your Back, Buster. Yeah. Now, you'll like this one, Sam. This is going to tickle your... Because you're going to be stabbed in it by some politicians. Yeah. This is going to tickle your testicles, this one is. This is going to warm the cockles of your arse. The phrase, it's all Greek to me, stems from this play. phrase means, obviously, I don't understand it. Yes. Also, the first recorded use of the phrase itchy palm comes from this play. I.e. someone. <laughs> itchy testicles. It, 
one of the main characters, Itchy <laughs> Testicles. Itchiest Testicles. Yes. Meaning someone, if you don't know, meaning someone who uh, wants payment for information. Uh. Like a bit of a bribe. Bite the bullet, we're moving on to the American Civil War now, is often attested to the American Civil War, where surgeons would give patients a bullet to bite on. However, this is very unlikely, because uh, it's, it's basically an urban myth. Because ether and chloroform were widely used as anaesthetics in the 1840s, and the Civil War obviously started in 1861, so those were both available. And they were much better pain relievers. Yes, than biting a bullet. Lead-filled bullet, for that, uh, for that matter. I've always assumed that that one came from... The fact that when you used to load an old rifle or an old musket back in, I don't know, the early 1800s, late 1700s, you would have to bite the cartridge. You, it would be a paper cartridge and you would bite it to get the gunpowder out, which you could then pour down the barrel to fire the gun. Ooh, but once you've bitten it, you have to fire, once you've bitten it, you have to fire it. I'm sad and I'm a clever clock. And it tastes horrible. Well, well, aren't you a clever clogs? Yes. This is the other possible origin of the phrase. The Indian Rebellion against the British in 1857. The phrase bite the cartridge, as you said, yes. comes from the act of biting open a paper cartridge before loading a rifle and probably evolved into bite the bullet. There's an extra bit of that that I didn't make a note of, which was something to do with the Muslim soldiers and Muslim, Muslim regiments in the British Army were upset at having to bite open the cartridges because I think they thought there was a meat product cow fat or something well um, the rebellion started in part because there was a new bullet manufactured which was greased with a fat made from uh pig fat there you go which would have yes. offended hindus as well i think wouldn't it as well yes it would have done yeah and so they rebelled against using this bullet uh and the british responded by very specifically shooting them with that bullet <laughs> It was it was uh, part of a much larger list of grievances against the British. Yeah, there was a lot more to it than that. That was very good knowledge, Sam. When did you come across that then, you clever clogs? Oh, I don't know, Tom. I've got a history clever degree. bastard. <laughs> history degree in idioms. <laughs> Sticking with the American Civil War, the phrase absent without leave, or A-W-O-L, AWOL, has been attested to the Confederate forces who would make a soldier who was absent for, uh, for a short duration... Uh, without permission, wear a placard with A-W-O-L written on it as a gentle form of punishment. Uh, that said, there's evidence that it's a lot older. The Merriam website dictionary says that the phrase was first recorded in 1743, although it didn't give any more information about that. Regardless, it does seem to have become a very American military phrase, particularly during the two world wars. He's got AWOL drinking at the pub. Yeah, with the locals. We should arrest him. <laughs> Here's another good one from the American Civil War. Can you guess what it is? You've been working at the car wash. I didn't realise that came from. You still not got it? I know it's heard it on the grapevine. I thought you'd have given up by now. Oh, no, thank you very much. Yes, the gra- so heard it through the grapevine comes from around the time of the American Civil War. Do you know what this one means, Mr. Clever Clogs? I knew what... I don't know. I, I'm, uh-huh, assuming, I'm assuming uh-huh. whispering, people whispering in the fields in places that you couldn't be seen because grapevines are high. So it's a good place to uh, hide and gossip. Grapevines also look like telegraphs, and this is the time when telegraphs were spreading across America, so the 1800s. 
and they became known as grapevine telegraphs. Interesting. You can see why. It became a very important means of communication during the Civil War, and it doesn't take a great imagination to see why these telegraphs were called grapevine telegraphs. They were also they were also sometimes called washing line telegraphs. During the Civil War, the veracity of news sent and received using the telegraph system was dubious, hence the phrase, heard it through the grapevine. Um, yeah. Or if the course of history had taken a different turn, heard it through your white undies that still have the remnants of that embarrassing soiling incident at the restaurant with Mr. Bigwig when just as you were about to shake hands on that life-changing deal you sharted much to the shock and disgust of the other patrons <laughs> John your friends on the shitty crackers <laughs> come over here and talk to him <laughs> on the soiled undies all oh, the soiled undies are ringing again and I have to say I heard it on the telephone doesn't sound it doesn't make for quite a good song <laughs> No, no. I heard it in a phone call. <laughs> I heard it over Skype. Honey, honey, or even worse, I heard it over Google Hangouts. <laughs> I didn't hear it over Google Hangouts because it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. I was told it on a Zoom call <laughs> after the speaker had unmuted. <laughs> I had a funny little background. <laughs> yeah. And I gave myself some doggies. Here's an interesting one that is likely to be untrue, but we'll go with it anyway. For very specific reasons, all underpinned by the fact that it's a very simple phrase and probably just evolved over time. His name is Mud has been attributed to Samuel A. Mudd, who was alleged to be complicit in the ultimately successful plans to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. This relates to the topic because the assassination took place right at the end of the Civil War in 1865. How much mud was involved in the assassination is hotly debated by historians, but what is sure is he was sentenced to life in prison for his part in the events. He actually mended the assassin, John Wilkes Booth's, broken leg immediately after the assassination and didn't report the crime for 24 hours, possibly to allow Booth and his accomplice, David Herald, to escape. Anyway, mud was tried, narrowly avoided the death penalty, and was later pardoned and released from prison in 1869, so four years after Lincoln's death and his imprisonment. However, the reputation of the Doctor was wrecked by all of this, hence the belief that the phrase, his name is Mud, came from this. Interesting. Good, isn't it? So so the British version of that idiom would be, his name is Shipman. <laughs> no, because Shipman did it, Sam. <laughs> Harold Shipman killed all those patients. Hey, uh, here's a good one for you. What's Harold Shipman's favourite card game? Oh, I don't know. Could it be Patience? Hey. Hey. No, he hates them. <laughs> oh. Let's move to the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. Fifth Column. Did you know this one? I, I know what Fifth Column means. It has become an idiom for secret enemy collaborators working with yeah. an organisation to bring it down. In 1936, Madrid was besieged by the army of the nationalist General Mola who would always stand in front of Lieutenant General Primola, Major General Canine and Brigadier Incisor. And if you got that joke, well done. Your military rank and dental nomenclature knowledge is second to none. He had four columns and was relying on this fifth column of supporters from within the city to join his cause when his forces entered the city. Ernest Hemingway wrote a play called The Fifth Column a year later. Now... Talking of Ernest Hemingway, park that. I'm going to finish with a poem by John Donne. Donne was English and lived from 1572 to 1631, so dying a decade before the English Civil War started. But amongst other things, he was a writer and poet. In his book Devotions, there is a short meditation, number 17 in fact, 
No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Sorry, it's quite a difficult one to read, that one. <laughs> so in this meditation, we have the origins of two phrases, for whom the bell tolls, and no man is an island. Mm. And what Don is possibly trying to say in this rather heavy work is that we are all part of a greater pl plan. We're all on the earth together. No matter what our race or religion, our behaviour affects everyone else. Put more simply, he's kind of trying to say, why can't we all just get on, I think. That's a very positive and deep message, Tom. Tell an ob gag. I know. Just wait, just wait until I l listen to this bit. This is even better. Ernest Hemingway uses the phrase for whom the bell tolls as the title of his famous book about the Spanish Civil War. He also uses the phrase, no man is an island in this book, with an obvious allusion to this poem. In very simple terms, Hemingway is agreeing with Don that people just need to get on with each other, but also that we are part of the human race and that every death of one person affects us in some way. And more importantly, allowing fascism to spread will affect everyone, which obviously it did. So there you go, Sam. Oh. That was my exploration of phrases and idioms connected to Civil War. And I very much enjoyed that. Fantastic. Not particularly silly, not many knob jokes, but interesting, I would like to say. Lots of opportunities for our listeners to, uh, to impress people at the pub. Well done, Tom. Tidbits of knowledge. Yes, I like that. Very you good. You had one of the tidbits, though, you knowledgeable fucker. <laughs> it, takes a, it takes a pair, Tom. Takes two bids to make a tid. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you did, and I just missed it. Did we ever come up? Did you ever actually mention the meaning of the whole nine yards? I think you, you talked about the angry website. Yeah, no, <laughs> but you no, never no. actually gave a definition. Uh, the reason I stumbled across that one is I was searching through this website for any references to civil war, and um, someone had wrote into this uh, this chap who owns the website and said that they were told the origins from the Civil War, but I can't remember exactly what it was. But there were hundreds and hundreds of different uh, interpretations of the origins of that phrase. And I think the chap that owns the website had basically come to the conclusion that he has no idea where it comes from. Yeah. Um, it is a really, really good website. And the chap who owns it is very credible as well. I did a similar episode, didn't I, on phrases and idioms to do with uh, shipping. Yes, and, you did, um, yes. Yes, maritime things. And uh, I, I, again, I use that same website as a source. Fantastic. Right, should we come up with a topic for next week? Well, I think we've had a number of suggestions that I haven't made the effort to write down, unfortunately. <laughs> well, this one was an audience suggestion. Civil Wars was an audience suggestion. Have we not had some others? We had a suggestion from Kathleen on uh, Twitter who suggested we do uh, naturalists. Yes, now that is quite a good one. Yes. That is a good one. Okay, but we need to we need to pick one of our own for the next patrons episode. Okay, what have you got? Look around my room for inspiration. Slippers. <laughs> I, I genuinely think we should do slippers. No. Slippers. <laughs> slippers week. That's not a thing. Shows we can do balls. shoes. Are you want a challenge? Footwear. We can do shoes. Footwear. Footwear. Okay. We're gonna do okay. footwear. Footwear for the patrons. Fucking hell, that's a challenge. <laughs> Enjoy that one, patrons. Something for you to look forward to. Yes. Well, thank you very much indeed, audience. It's been an absolute pleasure talking at you. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it too. If you have, and you want to hear uh, what the fuck we managed to come up with for footwear, 
uh, next week, hey! then you can join us at the Order of the Bath at patreon.com slash thatwasgenius, where for just £3 a month, or £4 a month, or £5 a month, you get access to uh, to a song, or two or three songs, uh, medals, and all of our episodes, our patron-exclusive episodes, and doodles from Tom as well, which yeah. an audience poll suggested are moderately well-received. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? Uh, for, for listeners who aren't members, honourable men, members of the Order of the Bathroom, I, I just asked the the honourable members of the bathroom um, whether or not they wanted me to continue doing them. Yeah, the results were mixed at best. <laughs> Margin, marginally in favour of keep doing them. Yes. <laughs> so I'll keep doing them. I quite enjoy them. <laughs> well, on that note, we will see you all next week, listeners. And if you want your feedback to be read out on this podcast, which of course you do, then you can find us on Twitter at that underscore was underscore genius on Instagram at That Was Genius and on Facebook That Was Genius Podcast. You can also email us thatwasgeniuscast at gmail.com. Right, Tom, say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. And it's goodbye from me.